Demons Discuss, Take 41, the one with the trip to the mall. Welcome to Demons Discuss, the unofficial podcast about the All Souls universe and the topics that orbit it. We are your hosts, Angela, Jean, and Valerie. I'm Valerie, and with me is Angela and Jean. Hello. Hi, everyone. Hi, everybody. And what are we talking about, Angela? Shadow of Night, Chapter 17. We go on a mini adventure. We go shopping. Yay! Waiting <laughs> <laughs> in every girl's heart. We yep. finally get out and about, get out of the black fires and see the rest of the world. God. Right. Quit reading the fairy queen. Ooh. <laughs> talk about talk about canon fever. Get to see things, meet people. Yes. And, and hang out with Pierre. Uh, now Bilbo Baggins just jumped into my head. We're going on an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> Pierre was not pleased. No. No. So uh, let's launch into this. This podcast is sponsored by our wonderful patrons. Yes, thanks to these generous souls, we can keep the demon train running smoothly and on time. All patrons will receive ditch driving swag and exclusive access to the after show. You like my voice? Yeah, you like that? Mm-hmm. Am I enticing you people? <laughs> Come on. You're, you're very enticing. <laughs> very enticing. Super enticing. Awesome. The after show is where we hash out our lives, fandom things, trickier parts of the trilogy. Chris. Oh, I said that out loud. And the random items <laughs> that one finds in a ditch. And if you're yes. interested in any of the things I've just mentioned, join us on this journey at patreon.com slash demons discuss and you can pick a tier, any tier, the after show is Demons Unfiltered. Yes. <laughs> good way to put it. Yeah. In a nutshell. <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> so, Angela, what do we have? We have two speak pipe messages. Speak pipe the crystal clear way to be heard. Um, and we have two voicemails from Stephen and Patricia. Yay! Woo-hoo! So who are we hearing from first? Let's hear from Patricia. Awesome. Good morning, demons. This is Patricia calling you from Peterborough, Canada. Here are a few of my thoughts on chapter 17. Diana, the independent woman stuck in Elizabethan times, has a plan. She knows what she wants. She knows how she's going to get it. And she's prepared to pay the price. So she goes out and she has a plan to get supplies, but apparently snacks are also on her mind because, you know, they don't really have corner stores there the way they do in modern times. So she goes out first to the bakery and gets sticky buns so she could uh, appease her sweet tooth. And then she goes on and she finds uh, John Chandler's shop and gets some things that are pretty non-traditional for a woman of her time. Some books that uh, were not really, you know, recommended for her. And then at the end of the day, you know, after Francoise and Pierre's reactions, you know, told her she's going against protocol, she disregarded that and she paid the price when she went home. Matthew was angry. But at the end of the day, you know, it was very common thing that many couples have. It was a communication thing. You know, he says he wants her to talk to him first. And she made the point, well, you have to listen, dear. So active listening, very important, modern and old times. Anyway, have a great day, guys. Bye. 
here's my thing. It's like, you know, the more things change, the more they say the same. When you're bored, you go shopping. When you get home from shopping, your husband gets pissed. <laughs> yeah, actually, in Elizabethan times, you can't hide the evidence. <laughs> no, there's no trunk to put your five pairs of shoes in until he like goes off to the office. It's like, what the hell? Yeah. What did you do? I don't I don't think that magic pouch that Pierre was wearing was big enough to hide all that stuff until Matthew went back out. Right. And there was an Amazon back then where you can get rid of the box and put it in a recycling. Cycling right quick. Yeah. <laughs> quick, break it down. And deliver it to the office. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You can have it mailed to the office. <laughs> Uh, one of my friends was on a boot buying kick. Uh, she was finding all the best bargains in the world. She just kept having it delivered to the office and then ended up with a trunk full of shoes that she couldn't figure out how to get into the house. <laughs> <laughs> that was only half thought through, it seemed like. <laughs> Well, yeah, and bless her heart, she's a former federal prosecutor, and she just was like so tickled by the fact she was finding good cowboy boots for 30 bucks that she was just dazzled by the bargain and didn't think things through. Yes. That is a good price. See? That is a good price. God, she found some great boots, too, let me tell you. And that's when you wear them in the house and act like you've had them the whole time. Right. That's exactly what she did. Oh, you didn't notice. The, I've had these, for, but then again, it was like, then you noticed she was rearranging everything in the closet, and there was not a enough room for stuff. <laughs> Which, it like, it kind uh, of, that, this all kind of brings us back to Patricia's point. You have to listen to your other half yes, to know what's yes. going on. <laughs> yes. Communication is key. Exactly. So now, Stephen, let's listen to what he has to say. Good morning, demons. Stephen here. During this reading of Chapter 17 of Shadow of Night, I decided to look further into the character of Richard Field. Richard Field originally came from Stratford-upon-Avon, and there are records linking his father, Henry Field, with John Shakespeare, who had a son named William, you might have heard of. In 1579, at the age of 18, Field was apprenticed to the printing firm located in the Blackfriars area of London, run by Thomas Voltrollier. Ten years later, and two years after Voltrollier's death, Field married his w the widow, Jacqueline, and took over running the business. Field printed books for some of the notable publishers of the day, included William Ponsonby, who is also mentioned in this chapter as the publisher for George Chapman. The sign of the anchor that Diana mentioned as marking the shop was also used by Field as his emblem, and it appears on the title page of his printed books. Field is best known today for printing early editions of some of William Shakespeare's poems. Stephen, you found like some of the best Easter eggs in there. My God. Yes, I love it. Perfect. Bravo. Baldwin comes to mind. Baldwin comes to mind when he tells Isabel, and thank you for the history lesson, Stephen. <laughs> yes, very much so. Very much so. Thanks for classing I say up that in all sincer sincerity. I love it. It was right. great find. I know. And there were so many little cool, I mean, the whole thing about the fields and Shakespeare's having a connection through the fathers. My God, that yes. was so cool. So, something that hadn't been disclosed or discovered before in all of the teasing out of backs in the Easter egg hunts that have been done in the past. So can I just say that Gene and I pictured you, Stephen, in a smoking jacket and a pipe <laughs> by a fireplace doing masterpiece theater. <laughs> Pretty much the thug yes. nose setting without without the master thug. Without, without yes, without the thuggishness. It was, thug, it was a thug free version of thug notes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Stephen. And now Thank we have so discusser emails. Jean, you want to do yours? Most assuredly. And of course, mine is from New England, Angela. Yay! Yay! 
Oh, it's, oh, and it has a picture of our Walter attached. This is going to be so good. <laughs> Hello, Dazzling Demons. So many little things to chat about in Chapter 17, but one really caught my eye. Let's chat a, a bit about when Diana finds out from George that Matthew and Walter dabbled in poetry. He mentioned how Matthew used to write about love and friendship, but had recently turned to darker sh- subjects. Anyone curious about the person Matthew may have been writing love poems about? Apparently not, because I never brought it up. <laughs> no, this is why we need Serpent's Mirror. ASAP. But what definitely piqued my interest was how George stated Matthew and Walter used to lie about those in power. It's here that Diana quotes lines from the lie, which was supposedly written by Walter Raleigh. However, after doing some digging and opening up this Easter eggs, I found more questions than answers. Some say it was mm-hmm. written in 1592 by Raleigh while in the tower. Yep, Diana wonders how Matthew's connected to the poem while there in 1590. Considering it has much to do with their personal objections with the church and the powerful people surrounding Elizabeth's court, we can certainly assume there is that link. Yet George recognized the lines that Diana recited as those of Matthew's works, which would have meant sometime in 1590 had to be connected, right? Would love to hear your thoughts on this. Talk soon, ladies. Demon kisses, Angela. Thank you, Angela. Thank you, Angela. Thank you, Angela. Do I have thoughts on this? You're right, though. I didn't ever think of who he was writing about because he's just such an idealist. And as Philippe says, he's so consumed with abstract thoughts and dreaminess and life. What's the meaning of life? And it's always the dark side. You give the lie. Mm -hmm. It's such a dark poem. When you actually read the whole thing, you give the lie. You know, and it's like... (laughs) And coming back to the whole date of 1592 being attached to it, I almost wonder whether I suspect that the, it was written much earlier and it was only until 1592, which was... did Elizabeth, When did Elizabeth die? 1601, I think. I mean, they had... Or around okay. Then. Yeah. Yeah, I'm wondering if it was released in 1592 for a particular reason, finally published. Hmm. It was almost... Uh, it's kind of like, okay, this is sitting in my file drawer. Maybe it's time to let it <laughs> loose on the world kind of thing. It's one of those questions and not answers. Well, I mean, we've got not one, but two instances where... Faust was published after Kit died, and he had been, he supposedly had been work, you know, fussing with that for years. And also, there was also Hero and Leander, which ended up being published, what, six years after his death, because George took George it upon himself, took it to, upon finish himself it off. to fix it. Yep. Yeah. Well, fix it is a relative term, I guess. Well, <laughs> put it together anyway. <laughs> finish it. What did you guys think about Deb attributing that to Matthew? It's plausible. Yeah. Well, she would know. I mean, right. she wrote about all those guys. Yeah. The Shadow of, or School of Night was, uh, seemed, they worked on a lot of things together. They were very collaborative. So, I mean, that Deb did, handled it the way she did isn't surprising. No, uh, not at all. Especially with Matthew Royden. She knew all about him and where the gaps would be. So, yes, I don't even know if that it, is a gap. It, I mean, it could be attributed to him. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, we have one more and this is from Terry. Hi, Terry. Thank you, Terry. Thank you. Uh, she says, I love it when Diana decides to assert herself and take control control. This entire chapter is another example of her growing self-confidence. She decides to get out of the house and find the witch herself. Chandler might not have been the witch she was looking for, but he led her to Hubbard, who sent Annie to her, and then led her to Goody Allsup. Mission accomplished from Terry. Thank you, Terry. Thank you, Terry. Thank you, Terry. And for those of you who haven't read beyond this, uh, <laughs> stay tuned. <laughs> right. I'll say spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah. Spoiler. Spoiler. But, uh, you, you know. I mean, that's how we you approach know how we do. Series. Yep. Yes. Yes. Okay. So let's start the wagon, guys. Let's Better do up. this. Woo-hoo. 
This chapter discussion is brought to you by Jody Cozy. Thank you, Jody. Thank you, Jody. We're going to get to meet Jody soon. I know. I'm so excited. It's crazy. It's like we talk to them over the microphone and then they appear in front of our faces. They get to (laughs) give us hugs. Yay. It is magic. It's a special kind of magic. (laughs) Wow. She's still on the drugs. Right. (laughs) Oh, geez. Okay. So we left off in chapter 16, spinning from the aftermath of the visit with Mary Sidney. If you'll recall, this ended with Diana inadvertently animating Mary's shoe, Matthew rebuking Mary and rushing Diana out of Baynard's castle. Mary, wanting a do-over, reaches out to Diana, sending her some verses from Psalm 71 as an olive branch. She invites Diana back for an alchemy session and as Diana reads further, she sees the hidden message Mary was trying to communicate. Matthew and Diana were being watched by many eyes around town. So Diana takes this as a sign and decides she needed to find a witch on her own because Matthew has the baggage. Baggage, Matthew and baggage, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, being, um, Being a congregation member, a spy, and a vampire. With that decision made, she decides to make a list to go shopping. We open up chapter 17 with Diana making the announcements to Francoise and Pierre that she was going out shopping. So here we are. And <laughs> yeah, I'm going out. Seems innocent, but it's yeah. fully loaded. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Totally. I loved uh, Francoise's reaction. She's like, indeed. <laughs> yeah. Her inner Francoise panic. Must- is, she she is just such a little shit stir. New appreciation for her. In a way. This read. Definitely. I know. And Definitely. I love it. It's like she's like the su- not so much the suffragette, but she's she's like a proto feminist in there. Just like going, you go, girl. Yeah. Yeah. You want to try this. This th- this is how you're going to work. This is how you're going to work this scam. She just I I mean, the way I took it is like Francoise. Francoise just knows stuff. She's just got a feeling yeah. for this, you know, yeah. and yep. she's and she knows when Diana's going to go off the rails because <laughs> Diana is. <laughs> she's like the, she is the perfect servant in the Mart mode. She yes, is kind absolutely. of like uh, yeah. Diana's Mart. Yes. She is not subservient at all, but is always thinking four steps ahead of, yeah. how do I keep my mistress out of trouble? And yes. she has the figurative wooden spoon that's ready to conk you over the head. <laughs> yeah. Yes. No joke. Yes. <laughs> she must have knew something was up because Diana wasn't complaining while she's dressing her. She's like, oh, add some layers because, you know, I'm going to need to <laughs> stay warm. on that flannel <laughs> petticoat today. <laughs> <laughs> Like what? I'm not up to anything. Yeah, Diana is like so. She is the kid that just is was never fooling anybody when she was sneaking out the window at night. Right. Speaking of the garments, though, the the colors. I love the names of the colors. The the gray green taffeta oh, God, yeah. called Dying Spaniard, which I totally relate Di- to. Dying when I Spaniard. wear my Packer jersey, green one, home, I look like a dying Spaniard. <laughs> my, my my skin color gets all <laughs> green and. Well, you kind of you kind of well not the dying part, but the Spaniard part. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, more or less. Yes. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. And when you have olive in your skin, like I do, and you do, Angela, too. Yes. <laughs> You can't wear a oh, lot yeah. of greens. No, exactly. <laughs> it's not good. It's got to be the perfect green or yellow or forget it. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I want to note here that Diana is 
coming into being her own woman because she's back to resorting to her comfy clothes. And for this period of time, her comfy clothes are the clothes she had made in France. And Francois is not having it. She wants to dress her up like Louisa. She wants to dress her up in Louisa's clothes. And she's like, no, I just want to dress up my yeah. comfy clothes. <laughs> so, well, I mean, comfy as it can get back in 1590. So I could imagine, though, if you if you dress your your person casually, I maybe that's a reflection on you. You know, you should have picked up something more grand. Yes. Yeah. Will the other servants be like, what's Francois doing today? Yes. Exactly. <laughs> should the day off or what? Well, not only that, is she had to know that everybody was going to know exactly who she was when as soon as they saw her with Pierre. Pierre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're like, because the one guy was like, oh, no, man, she must be wearing him out. That's Master Royden's wife. She must be wearing him out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's so true. And so Pierre is not feeling this outing at all. He's yeah. like, she is, there is no stamp of approval on this. Right. And it's like, I get the feeling it's like they're treating Diana like this errant child that they're babysitting for Matthew. Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it's sort of like wait till your father gets home. It's like, yeah, you, you can hear the gears clicking. It's like, oh Jesus, this is going to end badly. I he right. does the obligatory. Maybe you should ask your father. Yeah, <laughs> Hoping, yes. praying that Matthew will put the kibosh in it. But no, that's not right. Diana's way. No, no, better to ask forgiveness than permission. Yeah, yep. and she says, no, I think not. I've made a list of things, and I'm going shopping, Pierre. You know, and I'm like, oh, here we go, here we go. Hang on, people. And then I was thinking about when she's she's like asking Pierre and Francois, hey, where do I put this money? You know, I stick it in my <laughs> bodice or all I kept thinking yeah. was like those brothel scenes and in, in old westerns where the women would oh my God. stick yeah. the cash in their it, bodice. It, my, or my grandmother used to put her Kleenex in her bra strap. Yeah. Hey, that was kind of yep. like what I was. Yes. Yeah. It's like, what else she got in there, man? <laughs> oh, God. Money with boob sweat? No, saying. Paper money, especially. I don't know. As a kid, if it spends, it's good, man. I didn't give a shit. Right. Oops, but then again, when we were kids, we would put our put our money in our shoe. In our shoe, yeah. exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's like ooh, shoe, shoe sock. sweat. That's even shoe sweat. That's even worse than uh, boob sweat. So she winds up putting the money in diaper bag. I mean bag. <laughs> His fanny pack. Or I shouldn't say fanny pack is to UK that's not a good term either. <laughs> His bum no. His bum roll had the roll. His yes. bum bag. <laughs> yes. So Pierre's got this bag where he carries all sorts of shit like uh spare knives (laughs) yeah and a dagger (laughs) daggers the lock picks were the best (laughs) (laughs) i'm just picturing what else is in there you got some chapstick (laughs) it's like it's 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 like felix the cat's magic bag of tricks it's pulling stuff out (laughs) it's everything pointy and dangerous though i know know. it's like oops i pricked myself it'll heal in a second i mean he got out of that thing with matthew after he went splat so Um, you know so there they head out water lane and she's determined man she's gonna get her stuff but like patricia said earlier she has to stop and get her little sticky buns at mm-hmm. master Pryor's bakery because you know she is pregnant and she might have cravings so she takes care of that she and needed a snack right exactly then she walks into a printing shop and she they're still in the Blackfriars. And the first thing the printer says is, good morning, Mistress Royden. And I'm like thinking to myself, wow, how does he 
know who she is. I know on first read, I was like, what is going on right. here? And she goes on to explain, apparently my neighbors knew me without introduction. They have an exchange where he's like, are you here to pick up your husband's book? And she's like, yeah, sure. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> and I love it. As soon as she hears a voice is, is Jacqueline just pops her head out of the office. It's like, right. Hmm, I need to insert myself into the situation and find out what's going on. Yes. Right. He introduces him to uh, Jacqueline or Jacqueline, however you want to listen to it. She's like, ah, oh, Madame Rodden. And apparently she speaks in a soft French accent which reminded her of Isabeau. And she said, your husband told us you're a great reader. And Margaret Hawley reports that you study alchemy. So here comes Gladys Kravis telling everybody the business. You know, right. Margaret Hawley, we were yes. warned about her. Yep. And she even says Jacqueline and her husband knew a great deal about my business. And no doubt they were also a price of my shoe size and the type of meat pie I preferred. Because she, the few times that she's been out and about or the few times she's called people in, I'm sure they all talked and this is like uh, small town shit. Oh, yeah. Modern day small town shit. But apparently it's big mm -hmm. town shit back then. That's like their little alley. Exactly. So it's like all the over the back fence, over the clothesline gossip of the, the immediate neighbors. Yeah. And plus, anytime, Pierre's going out and buying human food. Yeah. Yes, true. Yeah. It doesn't take long for stuff like that. Wait, that's a vampire household. What the hell's going on? And it's the, whatever they're buying has changed from what they were getting when Kit and company. Right. Were hanging yep. out there. Yep. So. Right. OK. So in this passage, she said, it struck me even odder, therefore, that no one in Bl the Blackfriars seemed to have noticed I was a witch. Now, Matthew goes on to explain this later why. But in the Blackfriars, is that why he kept her there? Do you think? Because, I mean, it keeps her out of creature notice. I don't know. That, I, mean, besides I mean, I know he does explain it later on, but I don't know that her statement is accurate. I don't think it's. Yeah. Is that is that an accurate explanation or not? Or were people just too polite or too too scared to really talk about that fact. It may be something that everybody sort of knew, but, you know, there's always that little bit of gossip you really don't want to be the one caught spreading. Yeah. And I have a yeah. hard time believing that all that debacle in Woodstock didn't trickle a little bit to London with Widow Beaton, with the Bidleys, yeah. with, you know... All that, all Especially that, with that Kit down. traveling over yes. to London, too. Right. With his mouth. Yes. Kit, Kit and his cups is probably a very talkative mm -hmm. combination. So she explains to this printer what her requirements are. And the printing shop can't accommodate her with all her needs. He suggests that she goes to a goldsmith for the signet to be made into a ring. Here comes Jacqueline. She's like, you can go see Nicholas Vallon. And I'm like, OK, who is Nicholas Vallon? I looked it up. And at the time, but yeah, he he was a famous watchmaker, actually. What was so cool about it is he was ro he was rogue. Yeah, he was not affiliated with the guild and was was right. doing stuff on the side, which is right. kind of like okay. That just told me a whole lot about Jacqueline. Jacqueline dabbled in the gray market. Which yeah, fun. yeah. I mean, there's some mob boss monopoly shit that's going on. The Col Goldsmiths Company may have an issue with yeah. someone taking business from them, and it's like okay, what's really going on here. <laughs> I think a, mo a modern day Jacqueline would know which alley you needed to go down off of Canal Street in order to get the real Louis Vuitton bag. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No knockoffs for her. Right. The ones that fell off the truck is the ones you want. <laughs> yeah. She, 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 didn't, she didn't deal in the counterfeit shit. It was no. like the real deal. Just stolen. And she wanted soap too and they're telling her, hey, you don't need uh, you need an apocalypse 
apothecary. Apothecary. Carrie. What? How do you say that? Apothecary. Apothecary. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Apothecary. Thank you. Watch. Steven gets me with that one next time. Yeah. Oh, I know. Okay. So Pierre coughed. He's like, perhaps you should consult with Master Royden. I'm thinking because apothecary is just getting bigger and bigger and more far afield. Yeah. Conversation progresses. And Apothecaries is very well known for witchcraft. And uh, Pierre pretty much has, he's got to keep things under control. And and Matthew's trying to keep her under wraps, too. Okay, here's the other thing, too. I mean, he really got, uh, I don't want to say defensive, but kind of like his antenna really went up when it was like, oh, go to Hester. Why why did they not want Hester to see her? Because she ends up going, they end up going to Chandler's instead. But it, it seemed like it wasn't just going to the Apothecary. It was very much, oh, I've got to keep her. Master Royden's going to be really pissed if I let her go over to Hester's. Yeah. Well, and it's, and Jacqueline is egging it on. She says, Jacqueline said it with a touch of mischief. Yeah. yeah. It's like, and was it because Hester was so close to uh, St. Paul's? Was it because of that? Maybe. I don't know. Or maybe it's just that Matthew didn't approve of him because he was an opium dealer. Yeah, that's true. So Diana's thinking she's like, Matthew would have all sorts of opinions, most of which will involve sending Francois or Pierre to fetch what I required. The fields awaited my reply with interest. And, but she's like, I would like Mr. Field's recommendation all the same. She's in for a penny, in for a pound. (laughs) I want all of it. And then Jacqueline's like, John Hester is highly regarded with a touch of mischief, just like you guys said, pulling the top of three of her skirts. He provided a tincture for my son's ear that cured its aching. John Hester, if memory served, was interested in alchemy too. Perhaps he knew a witch. And that just got Diana's thing all up in arms because she's looking for a witch. That's one of the main things she's shopping for. And then... (laughs) Here comes her husband, and he's. I, I feel like he's trying to impress her. It's like, it's like, it is said that even the Countess of Pembroke seeks his advice for the young lord's migraines. Migraines. <laughs> That's not so weird. I want to say migraines, but it says migraines, her husband added. So the entire neighborhood knew I had been to Baynard's castle. Mary was right. We were being watched. Master Hester's shop is near Paul's Wharf, marked with the sign of a still. And she thanks them. And then she turns around to Pierre and says, I'm going to cathedral. And Pierre's like, oh, no, here we go. Right. <laughs> Hang on to your hats, people. Oh, yeah. God. But it seems like Matthew anticipated it, though, because it says, my lord is not here. I wasn't supposed to, you weren't supposed to go unless I come with you. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, he's like, how do you say that in French? Prene garde? Yes. I want to say prene garde. Prene garde, mm-hmm. Pierre murmured as I passed him. She's like, I'm always careful. And then she steps into a puddle. I, I love that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, comic relief. That was perfect. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and she had her eyes open on top of it. I know. <laughs> she doesn't do well with open eyes. If she would have shut her eyes. Maybe she would have. Yes. Been fine. <laughs> <laughs> they just witnessed a carriage crash. <laughs> I thought it was funny. A carriage accident and Pierre's all like, these damn things will never catch on. Horses are better. And it made me think of being a vampire and watching all these things get invented and becoming norms. It must be crazy if you have all the time to watch all these things evolve. Yes. 
So she turns to Pierre and says, how far is Paul's wharf? Pierre's like, my lord does not like John Hester. And she's like, that's not what I asked, Pierre. And just it just felt like a child arguing with a guardian. <laughs> that's not what I asked. I want to know where John Hester is. <laughs> he's trying to throw up any roadblocks he can. He's getting frustrated and he's trying to distract her like a toddler. And she's like, I want books. Yeah, right. He knew the truth. He knew what right. was up. So they're making their way through the crowd and she's like, ah, shit, all humans here. Damn it. And they're in the churchyard, I'm supposing right here, right? And it was a Scrivener they ran into. And he says, can I help you, Mistress Royden? Um, this guy knows who she is. Yeah. So and she's like, do you have sealing wax, red ink? He's like, I'm not an apothecary, Mistress Royden, but a poor teacher. And then his customers begin to mutter about the scandalous profits enjoyed by grocers and blah, blah, blah. They're all murmuring in the background. And she says, Mistress Fields tells me that John Hester makes an excellent sealing wax. And all the heads turn in her yes. direction. So here we go again. Yep. So what's going on? She's like, can you point me to the direction to his shop? And Pierre just, he lost it right here. He's like, no. (laughs) No, sit down, go in the corner. Yeah. And, uh, (laughs) and this is where we learned that Pierre has a last name. Yes. Monsieur Cornu. Yeah. He knows the way. And I'm like, who's that? Oh, that's Pierre. (laughs) Of course, my Pierre has a last name. Yes. Of course, Angela. <laughs> and that's where uh, everybody's like, oh, that's Matthew Royden's wife. And like Jean was saying, everybody's like, no wonder Matthew looks tired. Look at her. <laughs> I know. Damn. That's right up there with the guy in Browns that commented that she was tasty. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That was the best. I just, I don't envy Pierre here. He He's just all over the place. He can't win. Pierre no, he just cannot. cannot win in this situation at all. And she's just kind of wandering around. She's going around the church and she's just looking to be seen. She finally felt the surge of energy she was looking for. Surely somebody's got to see me. Also, she felt the surge of energy from the fact that that's a crossroad of the ley lines from the old temple of the goddess that is on, that was built on the same same spot that right temple of uh, uh, yep. Diana St. Paul's was yes that, t- that temple of Diana that uh, Aeneas suppo- uh, Aeneas's descendant supposedly built on that spot yeah yes there were five Easter eggs in there people <laughs> <laughs> count them <laughs> and there you go Kath- Catherine Morris there's one of your little whispers of the Trojan War thank you for that Jane yay you're welcome yeah. Aeneas I'm a, font of, I'm a font of trivial knowledge yes you are yes you are That's why we love you, though. So Diana's looking around and she's like, I got to get seen, man. She pushes a hood off her face. She checks out all the buyers and sellers at St. Paul's Churchyard. And she's like, "Okay, they're here, but I need to get more attention. I'm going to need to have a one on one situation. So she's walking around and she was wondering, like, "Okay, maybe Pierre is going to deter all these people. Maybe they don't want to approach me because I'm with a vampire. So she turns around and tells Pierre, stay here. Don't move. And she gave him a stern look. And I'm like, what do you think you're telling? Right. That's cute, Diana. What if you stay like he's a pet? Come I on. know. 
and then she started wandering on her own, looking uh, the way she describes it. She was looking to find a lost friend. She waited for a witch's tingle. She, they were there. She could feel them. And then finally, she hears a uh, Mistress Royden, but it wasn't a witch. It was George. <laughs> <laughs> and we love George. Yes. Yeah. She said that there's no witch to be found, but the members of the School of Night, as usual, were everywhere. And so I don't think she anticipated this. (laughs) I don't think she she wasn't planning on that at all. Right. But it wound up being advantageous for her because she told George, I'm looking for ink and sealing wax. And the more she repeated it, the more inane it sounded. (laughs) And then George said, you'll need an apothecary then. Apothecary. Apothecary. There you go. Come, I'll take you to my man. And I'm like, who's his man? And (laughs) everyone's got their man. Everybody's got a man. And Pierre's like, it's getting late, Master Chapman. He shows up out of nowhere. And (laughs) I know Diana's like, drats, damn Pierre. What did you guys think about George's George taking over and taking her over there and regaling her with the stories of his publisher? And here's the thing. He was like kind of bragging that his publisher turned down Kit. Yes. So is was there animosity there? Maybe. No. It's a little. I don't know. Well, that it's animosity. No, I don't think so either. I think it was I think- a, he was just stick, get, sticking him back for all the smack that he was talking about George. And I think he's right just in front of George, eager to look good in Diana's eyes. He, he, yeah, he wants to help her. T- let me take you to my man. And then he says something, you know, puts Kit down a little dig. Um, and because Matthew later on says, "What was George waiting around for Ponsonby to say something nice to him?" Like so, even George a little bit exaggerates. Well, yeah, the other he thing does. Is too is I get the feeling every it's like George is the one friend that everybody feels good about piling on. Yes. Because in in this book, he allows it. Well, yeah, he allows it. But on the other hand, too, it's like he's got some alone time with Diana. It's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, you know, he just wants to show that, you know, hey, I'm not the piss boy here in this bunch. You know, I've got some cred of my own. Mm -hmm. I'm of worth, too. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And so as they're walking along, uh, George shows, we get a little more history about Henry because he shows her where Henry's mother lives, how he hates the place. Yeah. I like the part about how Henry just used to live, kind of live with the people in the little where Matthew was living, but it wasn't befitting a person of his station. So we, Mary made him move. And Mary's <laughs> like, okay, don't embarrass us. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Don't be embarrassing. Move. Right. Yes. <laughs> move just, into a proper house, you, please. You don't have to move to move back in with your mother, but just no. Don't don't right. live on campus anymore. Right. Just a side note. I mean, to live on campus. At least move into grad house and get out of the frat house. <laughs> <laughs> True. The one thing you said, Eugenia, you said there's like five eggs. I mean, honestly, this chapter is like every paragraph has like five eggs. I mean, you could look yes. up something oh, I know. every single time. Yeah. And, and I like that whole little history of Elizabethan publishing Deb just snuck in there talking yes. about a lesson. Yeah. yeah. And I think that was part of it, too. I mean, not only was he trying to uh, make himself look favorable to Diana, but I also think it was an opportunity for Deb to give us a history lesson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was very entertaining at that. Mm-hmm. It also, when she was talking about Ponsby, that gave us such a crystal clear kind of glimpse into the fact that all of these great poets that we 
all have to read in college that we moan and groan about were actually like this little clique of guys who really did live and work together and work under the same tent, so to speak. So George is walking her through some ghetto with a ditch and all. I mean, while he's describing all these things, you know, <laughs> about uh, Ponsonby would publish Matt's poetry as well, but he refused. And here's where we talk about the lie, the, the poem, The Lie, mm-hmm. which was attributed to Walter Raleigh. But apparently, according to this book, Matthew wrote it and he had some things to say about the lie and all that. So she says, in spite of his modern laboratory, Matthew was an old fuddy-duddy with his fondness for antique watches and vintage automobiles. I pressed my lips together to keep from smiling at this latest evidence of his traditionalism. What are his poems about? And then George says love and friendship for the most part. But recently, he and Walter have exchanged verses about darker subjects. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and... <laughs> And that's Give the Lie, just like we discussed before, Diana was able to quote it because obviously she's heard it before because she's from the future. Matthew wrote it. And then um, George is like, so Matt has shared his his verses with you. And George sighed once more. He manages to convey in so few words a full range of feeling and meaning. It's a talent that I envy. Ah, George, maybe one day, maybe one day you'll get to be somebody. I'm rooting for you, George. (laughs) (laughs) So. Finally, they get there. And he says, there is Chandler's shop. And we walk into this place and I'm just like, oh, I mean, from the mice to the things oh, yeah. that are hanging. Oh, my the God. Everything. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then then he cut the ear off the mouse. That was gross. So when we get to the stoop man, emerge behind the curtain, wiping his hands, the sleeve of his rusty black bombazine coat. And uh, I'm originally, you know, I'm th- I'm picturing Igor when I'm reading it, but it went on to explain <laughs> it. It bore. <laughs> Uh, resemblance to the academic gowns worn by Oxford and Cambridge undergraduates. And it was just as rumpled. So Chandler was a witch. And now we're like, oh, now we're getting somewhere. Right. She found her, her witch. Progress. Yay. And I don't know. It doesn't really say right away that he noticed she was a witch, but he had to have. Right. Yeah, I think so. From right away. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because bright hazel eyes met mine without a trace of hesitation. That says mm-hmm. to me, yes. <clears throat> yes. They saw each other. And so he's serving George. He's like, what can I do for you? And George made a detailed accounting of his many aches and pains. He's like, oh, I heard here. I heard there. Chandler's like, okay, uh uh-huh. And they were doing their business and she's wandering around the shop and she's finding illustrated books and a picture of a wounded man tacked up on the wall and jars of candied fruit, used books. It's just kind of like a janky, I don't even want to say Walmart (laughs) after it's a mess. (laughs) It just I don't know how many of you have been into a Walmart that's just been a mess. I know the one in Tacoma yeah. is a mess. The oh one God, by me is kind of neat. Walked into has been dirty, Ooh, yeah. which is why I won't go into them. That's what I picture a 1590s Walmart type of place. <laughs> just everything is just piled together. Clean up on aisle four. Remember the drugstore Ben Franklin? Oh, I loved Ben no. Franklin as a kid. Yeah, I that's never heard of that. Weird- well, so ours was weird because it was like built in the 40s, so it still had all the original wooden cases and stuff, but it was always very neat. There was just a yeah. lot of lot of weird stuff in it, but it was yes. always very clean. Yeah, I, I agree. That's But that, that's the variety, the sheer variety. If you wanted wacky wafers and squirt yeah. guns or you wanted a hose and a, you know, I don't know. It's kind of like an Ace yeah. Hardware, I guess.
guess, but it was uh, all purpose. And what always struck me is they always had like, oh, look, here's the pre-printed embroidery stuff. Like if you wanted to do embroidered pillowcases or potholders and stuff, you could yeah, put right. that kind of stuff there too. It was like, <laughs> okay, this little aisle is the mini Michaels. Yeah. Yes. That was the Woolworths for us. Yes. Or, Woolworths. Um, I remember that too. Yeah. Or do you remember those little, those little loops where you could weave it in the loom with where you could weave it all into potholders? Oh, yes. You could always yes. get the big bag, of, big bag of pot loops for the, for the loom there. Yeah. I remember that. I have, I have very weird, very vivid well, memories like of the that hook, place. Like the hook rug thing? Yeah. No? Okay. Yeah. Yes. That too. Or Zots. The, our can, the candy counter at, at our Ben Franklin's was one of the only places that had the Zots and the Pop Rocks. Yep. Well, she's wandering down the Zots aisle. <laughs> yes. And comic books. Oh, yes. Yes. And she's finding all kinds of things. A book that would help you catch rats and mice and all kinds of vermins and beasts. And, and get rid of sexually transmitted diseases. Yes. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> With mercury. And then Chandler, all the while, while she's wandering around the store, he's doing the thing with the mouse ears. <laughs> God. <laughs> like, oh God. Yeah. That's terrible. Powdered mouse ears are effective against warts. Lovely. Okay. So she picks up a pot of red ink and he goes, your were friend will not appreciate having to carry that bottle home, mistress. It's made from hawk's blood and is used for writing out love spells. But he's not saying this out loud. He's saying this in her head. Mm-hmm. So she's taking note. Oh, he can do silent speech. Nice. And then she runs into the book about Herr Stub from far off Germany, the werewolf. And she puts it together. Oh, my God, there's Herr Stub by me. And that's like his nephew or I forgot what it was. Um, It was the brewer down the, down the lane or something that wrote that, I think. Right. So he was aware right. of mm-hmm. vampires or, or whatever. So George is just talking it up and he's like, oh, I see you have one of Master Hester's books. And George said, picking up a nearby volume, I told Mistress Royden that you your ink is as good as Hester's and half the price. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, George, you're just not picking up on any of this stuff that's going right. around you. I, yeah, he's a clueless human. <laughs> yeah. So she's picking up books and there's one, uh, there's a book, I guess it was about medicine or something. And she said, he's like, oh, that'll be of interest to Mistress Royden too. And he plunks it on her pile and, and she wonders how humans could be so oblivious to what happened around them. And this is a prime example right there. So humans humans have in the background all the time the la 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 I don't hear you I yeah. don't see you. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah, subconscious. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just going on with my own little life and there's yeah. stuff going on around you. Yep. Eventually, after they pack up her stuff and then George is like, la-di-da, bye Chandler, I'll see you next time. I need some shit for my whatever warts or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I don't have them. Uh, yeah. And then Chandler's like, farewell, Mistress Royden. And she's like, thank you for your assistance, Master Chandler. And then she replied, I am new in town and looking for a witch to help me. And that was silent. And he's like, you're welcome. And then he said smoothly, though there are a lot of excellent apothecaries in the Blackfriars. And then he goes, London is a dangerous place. Have care from who you request assistance. That should have been a clue to us. But Mm -hmm. on first read, I had no idea what the hell he was talking about. Like, why is it dangerous? 
And also he knew where she lived and that should have been a red flag to me, but I just first read, no. I just read on by. Yeah. Yep. Let's keep it going. Yep. Yeah. And one other thing about the whole uh, Stube deal, and this is just an aside, which I found very interesting. One of the original copies of that pamphlet from the 16th century is owned by the University of Michigan. Really? And there are pro- there are prohibitions on on having a uh, viewing. You have to actually apply with the, with your specific research research topics and whatnot and basically give them a damn good reason before they'll pull it out of the archives because they've had so many curious people wanting just to look poking at around it. right yeah just poking around because it's about werewolves or right. poking around because it's right. ast right which i thought was ah. really funny but they still haven't digitized it which is odd yeah that you is think odd they would yeah so they start walking home and apparently the message has been sent out that there was a witch in town and witches are coming out of nowhere and they're spitting at pierre <laughs> Don't get me started. Pierre's like, <laughs> I know. Don't mess with Angela's Pierre. My God. God, not at all. So Pierre's just trying to rush this errant child home. We got to get her home. So they get home and Francois is sitting by the fireplace and she's watching the door and she's she's upset. Francois is upset and she's like, he's going to need more wine tonight than we have in the house. She headed to the stairs, empty jugs that sat by the door. And then Diana picks up on uh, Matthew's voice and Pierre's up there with him really quick because I don't know how fast he got. Well, he's a vampire, so he, he probably rushed up there as soon as he heard Matthew. Oh, yeah. yeah. Shit's going to hit the fan. Well, yeah. She's already hit the fan and this is just going to be even worse. Literally smelled trouble. Yep. Yes. So we find Matthew. He's stripping naked from blood-soaked clothing and throwing him in the fire. And Diana's like, oh, no. Matthew and then Matthew's like no stay away stay away from me when I'm like this (laughs) right now (laughs) and she could tell that he had been underground because it smelled similar from when she was in the Obliette he goes I've been at the tower and she says and your prisoner is he dead because she gathered what it was and he told her the queen ordered her to be present when the prisoner was dot 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 question aka tortured. So his hand passed over his face and then he said, I hope to arrive early enough to stop it. But I miscalculated the ties. And didn't Gallaglass give him shit for miscalculating the tides before? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he was shitty with the tides. Matthew's yeah. not perfect. He's a hot mess with tides too. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew had been through the man's death once before. Today, he could have remained at home and not concerned himself with a lost soul in the tower. A lesser creature would have. I reached out to touch him, but he stepped away. He says, the queen will have my hide when she discovers that the man died before revealing his secrets, but I no longer care. Like most humans, Elizabeth finds ways to turn a blind eye when it suits her. And she says, who was he? And he goes, a witch. His neighbors reported him for having a poppet with red hair. They feared that it was an image of the queen. And the queen feared that the behavior of Scottish witches, Agnes Sampson and John Fian, was encouraging English witches to act against her. No, Diana. And he gestured her to stay away. That is as close as you'll ever get to the tower and what happens here. Go to the parlor and I'll join you shortly. So she goes to the parlor. She's picking at her bread and they're having a talk. And Matthew's pretty upset. So he asks her about her day and then she goes on to tell her about her day. And I'm pretty, I mean, Diana doesn't like lie like Matthew. She pretty much told them what happened, who mm-hmm. they saw and everything. And then he joked that George was probably trying to get Ponsby's attention, like Angela said before. Yeah. 
And this is the explanation. He says, reference no creatures being in the Blackfriars. The Blackfriars were once a Christian holy ground. Demons, witches, and vampires got into the habit of living elsewhere long ago and haven't yet moved back. The Barbican Cross, however, was put on the land where the Jewish cemetery was hundreds of years ago. After the Jews were expelled from England, city officials used the unconsecrated graveyard for criminals, traitors, and excommunicates instead. Humans considered it haunted and avoided the place. So there we go. So it's kind of a mental fortification against the humans in a way. Yeah. That's when they bring up John Hester again. And she goes, Jacqueline recommended John Hester when I asked her after an apothecary. But George said his man was just as good and less expensive. And I didn't ask about the neighborhood. And Look this at is- me. I was being a good housewife and saving money. <laughs> I was just thinking that, like, as if that mattered. <laughs> it was on sale. Look, 75% off. <laughs> Honey, I went, I went across town and got the good deal. I know. <laughs> George being the good friend looking out for Matthew's finances, unlike Kit. That's right. Unlike Kit. <laughs> Who's forging so he can party <laughs> at the pub. <Yeah. laughs> okay, so this is where he brings up the fact that John Chandler isn't pushing opiates on his customers like Hester does is rather more important to me than his reasonable rates. Still, I don't want you in Cripplegate. And he says, next time you need writing supplies, send Pierre or Francois to fetch them. Better yet, visit the apothecary three doors down on the other side of the water lane. That's when um, Pierre kind of chimes in. He's like, uh, Jacqueline didn't say anything about that guy because she's mad at him and she was getting back at him. I, love it. So I this- don't care if they're pulling swords on each other. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. And, and that whole thing about I don't want you going into Cripplegate, it was like, yeah, Dad, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, what are you doing going into bars in Detroit? Yeah, Dad, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever, Dad. Okay. Okay. But, but I didn't do anything. <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Didn't work for me. It's not going to work for Diana. Once Diana turns the, the tables around, she's like, forget about Hester. This pamphlet tells the story of a man in league with a devil who changes into a wolf and drinks blood. One of the men involved in this publication is our neighbor, the brewer by Baynard's Castle. I tap my finger on the pamphlet for emphasis. Tap, tap, tap. Look here, Matthew. Look. And she goes, Stube is a vampire, isn't he? And he says, yes. And I didn't know that the news of his death had traveled this far. Kit was supposed to tell me about the gossip on the broadsides. Now, what was Kit doing? He was slipping. Kit was selective. I, well, we'll I think find, he was selective. We'll find out. Yeah, we'll find out what Kit's up to right now. I think Kit's just being pissy again. Yeah. Right. Right. We'll find out in a chapter or so. Yeah. Diana says, so these legends about vampires are just more pitiful human attempts to deny knowledge of vampires. And then Matthew has sympathy for the humans. He's like, don't be too hard on them, Diana. They're focused on witches at the moment. It will be the demon's turn in another hundred years or so. And thanks to the reform of the asylums. After that, humans will get around to vampires and witches will be nothing more than a wicked fairy tale to frighten children. That's about right. As mm-hmm. far as, well, of course, you know, since he time walked back, but, you know, the vampires came up in the late 18th, 19th century in literature, and they were the yep. other. They were the big boogeyman. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, Diana's like, okay, so our next door neighbors is worried about werewolves, not witches. And if you could be mistaken for one, I want you to stop worrying about me. I want you to take care of you. Don't worry about me. I got this. And then here comes Matthew. I know you're inching for independence, but the next time you decide to take matters in your own hand, promise you'll discuss it with me. And he was well behaved. Thank you, Matthew. Yes. He, he handled he wasn't it. A 
not mess about it. Yeah. No. <laughs> he's getting better. Yes. A little better here. I mean, he slips, but mm-hmm. right here. But still. Right here. He had control of it. Mm-hmm. And then she says, only if you promise to listen. You're being watched, Matthew. I'm sure of it. And so is Mary Sidney. You take care of the Queen's business and the problem with Scotland and let me take care of this. And then he started to complain and she's like, listen to me. A witch will come. I promise. And that was that chapter. Anything yes. else to add? No, I think it's a great way to end the chapter. I mean, you I, first yes. read, I still still felt ominous about it. I mean, this read, I'm like, I can't wait. That's right. I know. I know. All right. So going so once, exciting. going twice. Sold. Sold. Yay! All right. And that ends chapter 17. It's been a while since we've done a chapter discussion. That was kind of fun. I suggest we do another one. (laughs) Not today, but... I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Next time we shall. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, you guys ready for housekeeping? Sure. Yes, ma'am. Let's do housekeeping. And it's brought to you by Ruth Tickner. Yay, Ruth. Yay. Thank you, Ruth. So who wants to start off with their housekeeping? I will. I have a five-star Apple podcast review from Miss Marlou from the USA. I live another day. (laughs) And she says, the three lovely demons are the perfect book friends to enable your AST obsession. Listen along with their comprehensive website to be fully emerged in the world of all souls. Smart, funny, thoughtfully critical with just the right amount of fangirling. Thank you for all you do, ladies. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Miss Marlou. Miss so- Marlou. <laughs> keep them coming. Keep them coming. Yes. Angela is thriving on the vine. We got to keep her going. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's summer. I'm in full bloom. Keep it going. Keep it going. Yes. Don't forget to walk. Water her. (laughs) (laughs) If you like what you hear, guys, seriously, leave us reviews. We love them. We love them, apparently. Oh, as you said, Val, in the past, uh, it helps people find us the more reviews we have. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's true. And our our reviews are working. They definitely are. And we want to keep it going. Keep it going. All right. What else do we have? Say, I've got evidence that they're working because I have an email from a new discusser named Chelsea. Chelsea, welcome. Welcome, Chelsea. Clearly, she found us from our reviews. Clearly. Hello, ladies. I just found this amazing website, and I first want to say how happy I am someone took the time and effort to really delve into all aspects of the series. I now get giddy each time I see a new podcast because you always manage to bring up the questions I frequently ask myself. I need answers to. So thank you for all your hard work. On to my question. I don't know if this is news to you. I'm quite sure it's not. But are you going to discuss the big teaser Deb released on our Twitter right before the World of All Souls came out? It seems like a really big piece of news about our favorite blonde gal. Gail. Whatever. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye, guys. <laughs> I hope you have a whole podcast dedicated to discussing that thing, but I'm willing to listen to anything you have to say on this subject. She released this info in pieces in five days. I don't want to outright say it, say it to avoid spoiling things. Thanks, Chelsea. And we well, all know what Chelsea's referring to. I mean, it's Gallo Glass's names. Mm-hmm. That's true. And you're not spoiling it, Chelsea, since Deb put it out in the universe. We consider mm-hmm. it free information now. So, yep. his names... Eric Ragnall, Brendan, William Sorley de Claremont. Yes. Yay! Yeah. That is Galaglass. Little friend zone. <laughs> That's just me. <laughs> 
I mean, and some people have even gone so far to write it in their World of All Souls book. Yes, yes the name. You have a, a fantastic bookmark created by a friend. Yep, a friend created it. And I think she posted it in the big group. She did post it in the big group. And she has given us permission to share it with you all. And we'll have it in our download section. And I will also post it in our show notes so you can download a lovely bookmark with all of his names and the meanings. Mm-hmm. And Mara always does such a great job. Yeah, so she thank does. you, Mara. And thank you, yes. Chelsea. Welcome to Discuss or Dumb. Mm-hmm. And we may we may put up a little addendum to our fast facts about Gallowglass and explore the meaning of the various names as well. Yeah, so that's true. We'll get that together and update that weekly geek we've already got on our website. Yeah, that would be cool. So yeah, you don't have to write it in your book. We have this bookmark for you. You can print it out, make it all nice and just stick it on his page, in his page, in between yep. his pages. So this Super way, pretty. it's pretty and it's nice and you don't wreck your book. No book wrecking. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're not book wreckers. Nope. Which brings us to, which brings us to our last thoughts. Well, not yet. I have one from Nancy. But it will bring it. It will tie into our last thoughts. I will tie into our last thoughts. Yes. Okay. So here's some housekeeping from Nancy and hi, Nancy. Um, just my thoughts on episode 39. When you say that Matthew was in his element more than what we saw in other books, I think it's because in 1590, he's with like-minded individuals and can be himself without the pressures of having to run the Knights of Lazarus like in A Discovery which is to keep his family together safe in the Book of Life. It is easier to be yourself without all the pressures. We can even see it starting to happen with Marcus in the Book of Life when he changes how he dresses to better fit the expectations of others. I also want to say thanks for the memories here in Western Canada. We grew up with only two channels, one being <laughs> CBC. <laughs> the Can- in Canada. Right. The Canadian Broadcasting Corporation with Hockey Night in Canada. I am not a fan. Everyone was thrilled when the cable came. One last thing. Thanks, Gene. That trip in the ditch that that made my day. Great episode. And you know which trip in the ditch that was? There were so many. Right. I don't know. Please be more specific. That was the beard. That was the beard took us all the way to two channels in our childhood. No, no, never mind. I will will not. I will not not discuss that any further because it's TMI. Yeah, that was the new beard that Diana had to get used to. Oh my god. Oh my god. Okay, so we have a statement for the show and it's a special one. We have a special guest. So stand by for that. Save it for the show. Guys, save it for the show. And for today's special Save It for the Show, we have a guest and she is from Chemmeal and Clove. Welcome, Kate. Hi, Kate. Hey, hi. Thanks for having me. Welcome. It's fun having company over. It is. We got everybody all limbered up. We're ready to chat. I first wanted to ask you, what brought you guys, I mean, you guys aren't that new to the fandom. You guys have been here for maybe a year, more than a year, I'd say. I think our first year podiversary is in September, although um, Jen and I have been recording a podcast together for over a year. We had a prior podcast called Queens of All Trades, mm-hmm. which we finished last fall, but we are relatively new to the All Souls fandom. Right. So what brought you guys over here? Well, what happened was that I have been reading the All Souls trilogy since it came out, actually. And I read all three books and then... 
I walked away from them for a little while and then I came back. And on my second read, I think is when I fell really, truly, deeply, madly, utterly in love. And then I have read them four times since. So I think that this reread makes either my sixth, maybe, maybe my seventh. I have no idea. But uh, last year, as Jen was finishing her spring semester of graduate school, she was desperately in need of something uh, to captivate and amaze her. And so I had this sneaking suspicion that she would enjoy the All Souls trilogy. So as a gift, I sent her all three books as a surprise in the mail, and she had read them within three weeks. And then when I heard that there was a TV show, uh, I pitched the idea after a great deal of wine, actually, I pitched the idea of doing an All Souls <laughs> podcast, and she said, I'm in, I'm in. And here well, we are. awesome. <laughs> Excellent. When you first read the books, you said that you enjoyed them, but then coming back to them, what do you think changed? Because the, the material doesn't change, but I contend that people change and scenarios change and situations in your life change. But did that happen for you that you enjoyed it the second or third or fourth or fifth time around better than you did the first? Honestly, I think that what it was, was that when I was able to read all three books in rapid succession, as opposed to having the publication lag between the three of them, I had a much better sense of the shape of the story. And that's really what drew me in. Um, I, I contend that the thing that brings me back to the series every single time is the people that Matthew and Diana become and the family that they form. And so I think that when I first read the series, while I enjoyed it. I did not see the shape of that arc as completely as I do now. And so I think what happened is that when I read the books back to back to back, uh, that's what I fell in love with. Because I remember the first time I read Book of Life, I was kind of like, eh, this feels, it doesn't quite feel like it sits well with me. Like I think I was looking for something more. But I think that's because I expected the story to be something different than it actually was. And so I think if that makes any sense, that when I went back to it, and I saw how very, very true and good and solid the bones of this narrative arc are that's what brought me back interesting well see for me with the book of life and we did have that two-year wait between shadow of night and book of life for me with the book of life it felt very okay here's the story wrap it up yeah yeah and we were expecting a lot more so yeah i can kind of see that and i'm pretty sure and i if i read them back to back to back well i did read them back to back to back (laughs) but after a while yes and i did see a difference i kind of saw the progression of the story a lot better i saw how they linked and i saw oh this started this way and it ended this way and i saw what bridge she was trying to make or build between the whole series. And for me, I mean, one of the positions I've taken on our podcast, when we talk about narrative arc and structure, I think that the difficulty in choosing a central narrative conflict that is about Diana and Matthew essentially versus the world and versus the book is that that is too large a conflict to tackle in one book. And so stretching that conflict over three books presents you with some very difficult choices in how you write it. And it has a tendency to sort of get muddled in the middle. But when you back Back up and take the story in its three parts as it's meant to be read, that that conflict is very real and very, very good. But I think that it took me a couple reads to be able to see it for what it was, to see its rise and fall in a way that was really compelling to me as opposed to just interesting and fun. So how would you describe you guys' approach? Because uh, with all the podcasts out there right now, we all seem to have different approaches to the story. How would you describe you guys' approach to the story when you're conveying it to your audience. 
amateur literary and story critique with a good deal of squeeing. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a tagline. Yeah, I know. With a good deal of squeeing. Because <laughs> I, I, I would say that uh, we, there are things like, obviously we, we came to this story and we decided to spend the time that we do podcasting and thinking about it because we really, really, truly love the story and love the characters. And there are definitely things that just like tickle me pink about this series and the world that Deb has created. But I think that we both came to the idea of doing this podcast based on other podcasts that we um that we enjoyed and particularly a community that we came from years ago that was called Story Wonk. It no longer exists. But they used to do podcasts and they famously did one uh that was kind of an outlander book seminar that we both participated in and really enjoyed the approach, which was basically looking at themes and motifs and story structure and conflict and character development as a part of reading books that we love. And what we wanted to do was take a book that we think is both good in the sense that it's really enjoyable it's great entertainment, but it also has a great deal of value. And we think that people sometimes miss an opportunity or have not considered the opportunity of examining the books that they read for fun, for their capacity to teach and their capacity to show you what good stories are, to take the stories that we love and give them a really, really hard scrub. And we think that one of the reasons we decided to do this is that the All Souls trilogy can stand up to that. You know, um, I know that people who have listened to us might find us to be maybe excessive, uh, excessively critical of some things, but sometimes we come to that from a point of, of really, truly loving it and wanting to talk about the things that the story does really well in contrast to some of the things where maybe it stumbles or maybe it's not as successful. And we do that because this story can take it. This story can hold up to it. And we think that it's worth it. That explains a lot. <laughs> I, oh? I don't Yeah, It does. It really does. Because I think I listened to a few episodes and there were some points when I'm like, do they really like this story? <laughs> 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 there are, I mean, I think that if, um, if for our longtime listeners, I think what they realize is that there are points in every story that are, that are really difficult. And there are places where because of choices that an author has made, sometimes there are things that can be, uh, that, that deserve a critical read and a critical eye. But we do that because we believe that by polishing the things that are really difficult, the things that are really gorgeous about the story, the, pardon me, really gorgeous about the story have an opportunity to shine through, if that makes any sense. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. I, I know that people find us to be sometimes harsh, especially because I think that on successive rereads, like I get really frustrated with uh, the character that I dub Worst Matthew, like very quickly. <laughs> Oh, well, I mean, if you listen to us, we're very critical to Matthew <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in different ways, <laughs> but we love him. We love him. Oh, absolutely. And the person, again, the person that Matthew becomes by the end of book three, I think, is a person that I really respect and enjoy. And I don't ask that any character be perfect. Uh, but, you know, I think that there is there is value in criticism. All right. For listeners coming over to Chamomile and Clove and listening to your podcast, what would you like listeners to take away from your podcast and blog? I think what we would hope that listeners take away from our podcast is an opportunity to think really hard about a story that we love, uh, an opportunity to look at the 
real beauty that it is capable of communicating. The fact that the themes and the motifs and the characters are so strong. Um, and to come away from it with the idea that you don't have to, one, that you are capable of thinking really hard about something that you love. And two, that the work of fiction that you enjoy, whether it be a television series, whether it be a popular fiction book, whether it be a romance, whether it be a fantasy, it is worth your honest, sincere, intellectual consideration, if that makes any sense. I think that a lot of people are drawn to this series because it does have a great deal of popular appeal. And I think that sometimes, especially, and I do think this is important to us as a podcast, I think that sometimes as women who concern works of fiction, we sometimes devalue the fiction that we read by either saying that it's a guilty pleasure or it's just a fandom or it's just a fantasy or it's just witches and vampires. And we think that that narrative is if not harmful, then certainly discouraging um, for the power of these stories to convey. There's a reason that we come back to these stories. There's a reason that we love them. And we believe that those reasons are deeper than just that Matthew is a flawed romantic hero and like Diana becomes a very powerful independent heroine in the end. Like there's more to it. So why not embrace everything that the story has to tell you by giving it a good scrub and by treating it with the respect and the honesty and the intellectual rigor that it deserves. Very good. Yeah. Can't top that. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) I I do think about this a lot. (laughs) I just think that I think that women, unfortunately, and I, I do believe it's fair to say that the majority of the All Souls fandom that I have come across is composed of women. And I think that we have a tendency to undersell our capacity to examine the stories that we ingest and that we tend to uh, devalue the things that we enjoy by somehow treating them as being, you know, silly or escapist. And I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true of this series. And I think it would do a disservice to say so, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. True. true. All right, Kate. I think we're good here. Where can we find you guys? You can find us on Twitter at chamomile, N as in November, clove. You can find us at chamomileandclove.wordpress.com. We publish the podcast to iTunes as well as Google Play. You can find us on Libsyn, uh, I believe, and our webpage is, did I already say the WordPress site? It's chamomileandclovecast.wordpress.com, and our email is chamomileandclovecast at gmail.com. And we'll put all of that in the show notes for you, audience. And thank you, Kate, for stopping by and talking to us. Yes. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kate. It's our pleasure. We look forward to seeing you at All Souls Con. So the last thing I would say is that, like you, we have a panel going at this year's All Souls Con, and we hope to see everyone there. Excellent. (laughs) If you you see three drunk demons walking around, just hug us. (laughs) We'll we'll need it. <laughs> Darlings, I plan to be drunk with you, so I, I, hope that I'm not, I hope that I'm not excluded from this even party. Yes. Even though I suspect that I am more of a witch or maybe a wimpire. I'm not really sure. That's fine. We accept all. Oh, very good. How oh, we've got our own vampire uh, scientists. Yeah. Right. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for having me. No problem. Thanks for coming by. Thank you for joining us. And after this, last thoughts and things we can't let go of. 
Find this show wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Contact us. We are at demonsdiscuss at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail, 360-519-7836. Or leave us one on SpeakPipe, speakpipe.com slant demonsdiscuss. Hit us up on social media, and we are at Demons Discuss or at Demons Domain. Join our Facebook group, Demonic Discussers. The keys to get in are in the show notes. And if you're listening on your mobile device, click the description. It'll be there, too. Become a discusser. And there are two ways to do that now. And if you're in the U.S., text A-D-O-W as an ADAL, as in a discovery of witches. So text A-D-O-W to 444-999 or visit demonsdiscuss.com scroll down fill out the form and spammer code and that's it you're a discusser visit our main site demonsdomain.com to see what we're up to and if you like what you hear leave us a five-star review on apple Podcasts. keep angela alive all right so last thoughts what do you guys have you guys have any last thoughts oh mine's pretty pretty brief uh it's as, as things are people are delving into the world of all souls and finding dis, uh, I'll call them discrepancies. How's that? Uh, it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, they're there it, at some point in time. It just turns into picking and nitpicking. Yeah. And honestly, for me, I just file it in my head and go, yeah, okay, that's probably not right. But the way it, it, it almost comes across as blasting Deb when you jump in the mega church and you scream and yell and pout about, oh, my God, I found this mistake. As, at some point in time, it's just. Do our listeners know what the mega church is? I mean, some of them the big do, group. but the, the big, big group. group, the big discussion group. Yeah, it, it does get a little picky. And you, you know what? Super fans are going to notice these things. Yeah. Regular, I mean, I notice a lot of them, but. Well, bringing them up yeah what does it what does it solve at this point because we've we've even seen with the ab negative thing that yeah. that never really got resolved they're not yeah. going to re-record the audiobook that you never see a second edition of an audiobook and i don't know yeah. it is what it is it is what be, it is be happy for everything that it is and not be so ungrateful about it's any shortcomings you perceive in it. And that's me being nice for the day. <laughs> or if you want to be a book wrecker, you can just cross out the parts that offend you because they're gloriously wrong and write in the right stuff. I don't know. Yeah. Do, you have, do you have nice handwriting? Write it in there all nice. There. Mm-hmm. You did it. You feel use better. Po- you fix the book. Use your post-its to fix it. Right. Or just cross it out and write it in. Yep. Yeah. I couldn't do that. Are you crazy? No. <laughs> but that's my thing. It's like, Okay. <laughs> That's what ebooks are for, so I'll you can say, mark them up e-book. with notes. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> oh wow, Angela, do you have any last thoughts? Uh, I do actually, and it's a Matthew Claremont one. Um, they had a montage of commencement speeches uh, this morning on the Today Show, and there was one quote by Andrea Mitchell that says. Never presume to know who you will become when you never stop becoming. I thought that was very appropriate. Of Matthew Claremont on his rebirthday. Oh so happy rebirthday. Yep. Happy rebirthday, happy Matthew. Rebirthday, oh. Matthew. That's right. Okay. So for all of you, we are talking from the past. So this is June 15th and it is Matthew's rebirthday. Yay. Yay. It's, a, it's already passed, but yay. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, jeez. Okay, so my last thoughts. My last thoughts is going to be yes. a lot of uh, uh, mini housekeeping here. Uh, All Souls Con in-person tickets have been sold out. Out. Yay! Yay. Oh, my gosh. How fantastic. So happy for them. Super. Sold out. But if you missed out on that train or you were not able to get to Philadelphia this year, $5 GI live streaming is only $5, and that's allsoulscon.org slant tickets. And as a note, you potential live streamers, you can catch us mm-hmm. first thing on that Friday for the live stream. We are going to be the first panel you see. So don't you want second. to see us? Second. Oh, live, first, on, first on a live stream. First Sorry. on the live stream. Yes. And, and don't you want to see our smiling faces? Don't you want to say yes. hi? <laughs> Talk to us through the screen. We're trying to put together something really cool for you guys. So when it'll we come fun. up with it, hopefully it'll be fun. <laughs> Which that's my second thought, sub thought, is we need to do a yeah. giveaway. We do. We do. We ha- oh, Just like a summer giveaway. We haven't done that. Yes. I was looking what we did last year around this time, and it was Matthew's rebirthday giveaway. So we think we need to come up with something pretty soon. We will. Yeah, we'll come up with something soon. Knowing and, us, it'll already have... Oh, sorry, I interrupted you. Oh, no. What else do you have? What, Nothing. What I'm else were you saying, Jean? Well, I was asking Val what the rest of yours is. Oh, okay, okay. Uh... Oh, our Facebook group. You're listening to us and maybe you enjoy it. If you want to join our Facebook group, you might enjoy that. Mm -hmm. And the link is in the show notes. And Angela, what should they do to get in? Answer the questions. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. They're easy. It's an open book test. You got to answer the questions, people. We don't slack. We don't let people in. We are serious. We mean it. We guard it heavily. We don't want the group to turn into some place where a bunch of people just lurk around or act crazy or whatever. We screen people. We're serious. And if you're listeners of us, you'll be able to answer the questions no problem. And if you listeners, yes. and if you are listeners, you'll fit in just fine. Seriously. And that's me being rude and keeping people out. Uh, no, it's ours. It's ours. And we only want our listeners in there. So if you're a listener and you want to join us on Facebook, and apparently a lot of people do because we haven't let them in because you know why they didn't answer the questions. Yeah. Yep. You got to answer yep. the questions. Okay, so uh, that was my last thought. And I actually have a thing I can't let go of that doesn't involve promotions or <laughs> join us here okay. or a bunch of ass. Okay, so the thing I can't let go of is arcs happen. Okay, that's the subject matter of this. Times Convert arc is out. And yes, we do have a copy. And yes, we've read it in advance. And no, we aren't going to tell you what it is until after its release, period. That's it. That's all Other we can than say. It, the fact that it is fabulous. Oh, it's so good. Right. Um, there's a whole bunch of hand, hand wringing over the arc. Uh, I think BookCon, they gave out a bunch of arcs and a bunch of them showed up on eBay. And if you want to pay those crazy prices to get your hand on a uncorrected manuscript, I don't think it's worth it. I mean, no. I know, I know there's collectors out there. I, I know there's people that, that just want to have everything. But if you're just reading and you want the story and you want the story the way Deb wants it to, present it to you then just wait for the book that's all we can say about that just just mm-hmm. wait it, it'll it's not com- that much longer it'll no, come in not. time and we have to say well i have to say it is fabulous it, it is. is fabulous it is Ugh. fabulous so happy to be back in that world 
I yes. said as soon as I started reading it, like Deb is back in her groove. Yes. Oh, absolutely. God, yes. Totally. Absolutely. So pre-order, I think it comes out September 18th. You can pre-order on Amazon. I believe Barnes and Noble, wherever it is, you can buy books. You can yes. pre-order it. So definitely pre-order it if you're interested in this book. I, I don't know. I, a lot of people try to bootleg it online. I'm sure they're taking them all down. But don't be a pirate. Just know it's worth it to wait. Don't be a pirate. Yes. That's bad. That, that okay. falls on, under the rule of don't be a dick. Right. right. I had a bit of PTSD from the Book of Life release uh, yeah. with people hand wringing. And it was the whole reason why we left the group. Well, me and Angela left the group three years ago mm-hmm. when the Book of Life came out. No, four years ago now. Four years ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was four years ago, honey. Oh, my God. When the Book of Life first came out and we had to leave because people knew that we had an arc and they were accusing us of spoiling. And and that's I don't people who didn't people who didn't have an arc were accusing us of spoiling, which was accusing us of spoiling spoiling and it's like no we wouldn't do that we would never do that so and we didn't do that no we we didn't do do that that. so it gets really tense around this time especially in the mega church as we call it (laughs) so be kind be patient be patient yes and if somebody has an arc and they say they have an arc don't ask for the arc don't because we can't give it out we're not allowed we're not allowed to reveal it we're not we just can't and that that's real talk guys just i'll go Mm -hmm. into it a little more in the after show but yeah ptsd i was getting a flashback back there when deb uh announced in there say hey arcs are coming out and if Mm -hmm. you're going if you have it and we're going to get rid of spoilers anything we perceive to be a spoiler because it was wasn't handled well the last time. So this time no. I think they have a handle on it. No. So, yeah, that's it. I'll talk about the rest on the after show. And if you guys are interested in going to the after show, just become a patron. Yeah, two bucks. Two bucks a month. Two bucks minimum. And you know what? It's a dollar a show. A dollar an after show. You get wagon swag and you get to listen to our after show. And everybody gets that. And as you go up the tiers, you get a little more as you go. So, yes. Yeah. So if you want to listen to our after show, which will be on next week around this time, definitely become a patron. And that's all Mm -hmm. I have. You guys have anything else? I'm all set. I'm I'm fulfilled. Fulfilled. Okay. That's lovely. I'm shopped out. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Let's say goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye. Demon kiss. We'll talk to you all next time. Next week, if you become a patron. Woo-hoo!